Romans 8. We're finishing Romans 8 today. Let me just start by reading it. I uh, always remember um, Tim Keller talking about this particular passage when he was talking about preaching and different types of different types of passages in the Bible and how some of it's like arguing, arguing, and a lot of Romans has been arguing as in like you know making a case, presenting a case, presenting information. Um, and he gets to this one. He says Romans eight is more about trying to trying to make you want to go to war. It's a battle cry, and it's the kind of thing that stirs the heart. So let me just read it, and we'll pray. It says this. I'm going to go from verse 28, by the way, just so we get the whole thing in, in, in context. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. We've done two weeks on that. If you missed them, go grab them. I think it was great. For those whom he foreknew, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, I'm sure, that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. This is Romans 8. You ready to go to war? Uh, before I pray for our time today, I want to do a thing. Again, this is the end of the book of Romans. Like you see, there's a cross here. We'll get to that later. Um, as in why it's there, not the cross. You're in a church, right? Um, I want to do a, a thing, a little bit different. I want to ask three questions of you to consider yourself. Don't, don't answer these out loud, please. These are for you. Uh, these are tough questions. I'll, I'll give you some space. To think them through, I'll even ask you to close your eyes actually now, and I'm just going to ask you three questions. First question is this. What is it in your life that is currently causing the most anxiety and stress? What is it you're praying about the most? Or perhaps 
the thing that you have been neglecting to pray for? What is it that has you the most stressed and anxious in your life right now? That's the first question. Second question. What is your consistent, reoccurring fear? Consistent and reoccurring fear. This would probably be a good definition of your pure hell in your life. The worst thing you can imagine happening, maybe. Consistent, reoccurring fear. Third question, a little bit different. It's a bonus question. Those first two answers, do they have anything in common? Can you spot a root cause underneath both those things? Is there, any, is there a way that they're connected, maybe? Today, as we come to Romans 8, God doesn't just want to pat you on the back and say, keep going, good luck. He has more for us today than just that. He wants access to this space, right? He wants access to the very depths of your heart because he wants to speak to your biggest, most urgent, most critical fears in this passage. So let's pray before we move into it. Let's pray that we'd be open to him to speak to us. Lord, as we ponder on those questions about what is it in us that is fearful or anxious or stressed, Lord, what are those things that are giving us pain in our lives? Lord, I pray you'd give us insight into ourselves. And I pray that your voice today would be loud and clear, powerful. Lord, would you help us step into the light in honesty with ourselves and honesty with you so we might receive the good gift, the life-giving gift of friendship with you. So would you help us today? I pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, this is a special day, as I said before. This is our last week in the best book of the Bible, in the best chapter of the Bible, Romans 8, hasn't it just been a wonderfully life-giving season for us as we just each week, week in, week out, hear these wonderful promises? Uh, today's passage is a thing of beauty. I hope you can see that. It's a thing of absolute beauty. Paul just puts the pedal to the metal here, and he just goes, and he's just worshipping. And the Lord has used this passage over the history of the church to do great things. If you can cast your mind back now to the first week in Romans 8, it was actually like October, I think. Uh, it was a while ago because we did Christmas. and then First week last year, you might remember it, we actually started a tradition in Romans 8 verse 1. So the tradition went like this. We, every time someone read Romans 8 1, everyone had to amen it. Or at least we were encouraged to, right? There's no, there's no amen police here. But we made a tradition. Every time Romans 8, verse 1 gets read out, 
the church amens it, right? So here it is. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. It's a good tradition. Let's keep it. Romans 8 goes from no condemnation in verse 1 to no separation in verse 39. Those are the bookends of the chapter. No condemnation for those who are in Christ, and there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. This chapter is all about, and this text today in particular is all about the massive love of God for his church. The massive love of God for his children. It beckons us into a world. This is what we were talking about last week as well. These verses, it beckons us into a world where underneath it all, what underlies all of reality, the, the most truest truth of the universe, is this world where this God loves us and his love reigns and it rules and it creates the universe. And today, again in our passage, we are being welcomed in. We are being beckoned in to this world. We're being told to wake up, smell the roses, look around. You're living in this universe. The love of God reigns. The love of God, it comes to us, sinners and sufferers, those of us in need, and it comes to us and blesses us and gives us a new life. So if that's, if that's what Romans is doing, if that's what it's doing today, and if that's what it's been doing, why is it that we wouldn't want to go there? Do you understand the question? Why is, what is it in us that is resistant to that kind of life with God? We all have it to a degree. Some of us are more resistant to, than others, but in us, there, in all of us, there is this resistance to stepping into that world, to walking with God in our life. Well, I think what we can conclude safely is that we all share a problem. We doubt. We doubt. We have all kinds of serious doubts. We doubt the goodness of God. We doubt his ability to actually change things in our world. Is prayer really working? Have you ever had that thought? I hope, I'm sure you have. In fact, when we think about it, we probably we doubt him on basically every level that it is possible to doubt our good God on. Sometimes we're even going to doubt whether he's even there listening to us. Am I just today praying to the ceiling? We doubt. And then maybe we, um, you know, we do some digging. We go digging into like the evidence. We, we open up an apologetic book and we, begun, we begin to get convinced that there is a good God, that Jesus didn't die, in fact, live and die for us, that he is true, that the resurrection is real, that this is all real. And yet we still doubt his personal love for us, specifically for me. I believe in a loving God, yes, but when it comes to me and my sin, all of a sudden it's harder to embrace Dad is love. We struggle to take what he says to just be true. Um, this week I was reading a story of, of a Bible scholar who was sitting by the bedside of her mother while she died. The mother was passing away and, and um, her mother was a Christian, loved Jesus, raised this daughter. This daughter has gone, got a PhD and is now you know, top level Christian scholar in the world. And she, um, and she, her mom asked her a question at the end says to her daughter, what if it's just not old? What if it's just not true? Can you imagine that? Your mother passing away. What if it's not true? 
to feel the weight of that question. Coming from a dying woman who has followed Jesus all her life and got to the end, and is looking at the end and is feeling doubt. What if it's not all true? So, you guys are at church, so you've probably heard this before. God loves you, right? And we go, yeah, sure, maybe. Or, right, or maybe he's sick of me by now because haven't I been stumbling forwards all my life? Isn't he kind of running out of patience? We're told, God forgives you. We go, yeah, maybe. I think so. But isn't he beginning to get frustrated with me? Isn't his patience wearing pretty, pretty thin, considering I keep going to the drink from the t- proverbial toilet of my sin? We're told... You're safe in God's hands. We go, yeah, maybe. Or maybe this next wave that I can see coming on the horizon is going to be the one that sinks me. Maybe. You see, these, all these doubts, all these thoughts, we're like our first parents, Adam and Eve in the garden. The first lie told in all of creation was just this. God doesn't really love you. He is holding out on you. He is not for you. And he's not to be trusted. All of our doubts are rooted in that first lie. That God is not to be trusted. Today, we're in Romans 8, friends. And God, through this text, has some wonderful things to say to us in our doubts now real doubts and I think that these these promises will show us a way forward I picked out three doubts that are answered in our text I think these sit at the bottom of so much of our struggles so much of our doubting so much of our fear and anxiety so here are the three doubts that we see being answered in our text today I'm not safe I'm not cared for I'm not forgiven. These are three doubts that every human being has and three doubts that the child of God needs to look to Romans 8 for to receive the promises of Christ. Here we go. Firstly, I'm not safe. Uh, it's well known if you've ever done any kind of like 101 psychology. Safety is like essential for any kind of like human function. You might be familiar with the um, like the, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I've got a a little slide of it is that there it is so at the bottom it's like you need food and air to like be alive correct and then above that it's like you need to be safe so that you can exist um there's a there's a 21st century version which adds an extra thing below air and water which is um wi-fi right um so in the 21st century yep air and water wi-fi um guess what i've updated it again for romans 8 here we go romans 8 there we go More important than Wi-Fi, friends. It's true. Verse 31 is going to start, it's going to give us the first of five unanswerable questions that Paul kind of just like, he's just shouting them out to the air at this stage. He's, he's, He's shouting them out to the universe. He's throwing them out in defiance. I love the attitude of Paul, of, of these verses, the defiance, the defiance in these verses, just absolute defiance. 
what shall we say to these things? What things he's been talking about? The sovereignty of God, the bigness of God, the fact that God is for his children. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, and this is the God who exists, who can be against us? The absolute attitude of that verse. Who can be against us? It is the biblical version of come at me, bro. That's what this verse is, right? Come at me. Like, what, what are you going to do? Who can be against me? If God is for me, what are you going to do, right? It's just absolute, absolute in, insubordination towards anything that comes against God's purposes. No, you can't do it. In the early days of the church, there was actually a famous preacher whose name was John Christostom. Uh, he's my favorite because Christostom literally means golden mouth. So he was John Goldenmouth. He was a preacher. He got a nickname. There's members meeting on today. I'm going to pass a motion that we start calling Pastor Matt, Matt Goldenmouth Maloney. They already do. They already do. All right, there you go. Not this church. <laughs> Maybe after you're singing. Maybe we'll upgrade you, right? John Goldenmouth, the preacher, right? And this guy was just one of those courageous followers of Jesus. He lived in the early early centuries of the church, born in Antioch. He was the Archbishop of Constantinople way back in the 300s. He got on the wrong side of the Roman emperor of the day. Hot tip. That's not where you want to be ever in the history of the world. That's one of the worst places to be ever in all of human history. It's the wrong side of the Roman emperor. So he was hauled before the emperor and he was threatened with banishment. I'm going to send you away where you know no one and nothing. This is his reply. I just love, again, the defiance of John Goldenmouth Chrysostom. He says this, You cannot banish me, for this world is my father's house. What are you going to do? Send me away? I'll still be with my Lord. But I will slay you. This is what he says next, the emperor. But I will slay you. No, you can't. For my life is hid with Christ in God. Quoting Colossians 3 3. My life is hid with Christ and God. You slay me, you can't slay me. Fine, I'll take away your treasures. No, but you cannot. For my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there. You can't take away my treasure, are you serious? My treasure is in heaven. But I will drive you away from man, and you shall have no friend left. No, you cannot. For I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy you. Imagine saying that to the Roman Emperor. I defy you, for there is nothing you can do to hurt me. Man, I love John Goldenmouth. I defy you. Christian, if you're a Christian in the room, I would like to encourage you, I'd like to invite you to ratchet up your defiance against anything and everything that comes against you and against God's plan. On the basis of this verse, right? Joyful, confident, thankful, and yet defiant. I defy you, he says. We can look the emperor in the eye and tell him that. If God is for me, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Notice what he is not saying here. He's not saying who's against us. This is Paul writing. He knows there's a long list of people against us, right? It is a long list. Paul knew this better than anyone, right? He was stoned 
He was beaten multiple times. He was imprisoned. He was shipwrecked. He was falsely accused. Eventually, he was executed for following Jesus. This is Paul. The following centuries after Paul, Christians were, were being routinely killed, tortured, fed to lions, burnt alive. They were on the wrong side of the Roman Emperor too. This is, this is where we came from. This is our heritage. So Paul, quite frankly, doesn't care who's against you. He knows it's a long list. That's not what he's pointing us to today, is he? He's saying it doesn't matter who's against you because God is for you in Christ. God is for you. And at the end of the day, that is actually all that matters, according to Romans 8. So Satan is against me. God is for me. Which one am I scared about? My sin is against me, but God is for you. Are my colleagues going to think I'm crazy for following Jesus? Call me, call me fun names behind my back? Yeah, probably. But God is for you. Friends, God is for you. He really is, right now. Last week we talked about this, the downward tilt of the universe. Yeah. He is for you. He has built the world for you. For you. Nothing can stand against him safe in his hands. What should we say to these things? If God is for me, who can be against me? We are safe in his hands. That's the first doubt. Second doubt is, I'm not cared for. I'm not cared for. Is God really and truly going to provide everything I need? That's the question. Maybe the question is this. Can I really trust him with my future? Do you feel that? I find it easier to trust God today than, I, than it is to trust God for tomorrow. Does that make sense? Maybe just me. Can I trust him with my tomorrow? Is he actually trustworthy? Is he going to back out on me? Is there a day coming in the future? Maybe tomorrow. Maybe 20,000 years from now when I'm in glory. Is there a day coming anywhere in my future where... His mind is going to change about me. Is there a day where he will be less for me than today? Because if that day is there, look, if the gospel has an expiration date, it's not good news, is it? Let's go back to our text. Can we trust God with our future? What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you see the logic there? If he gave you his son, is he not going to continue to look after you in all the small things in your life? For example, let's just say, I don't know if my kids can hear this, hopefully they can't. Let's just say I took my kids to Disneyland, flew them to America, spent a couple of weeks over there doing some sightseeing, paid for flights for four kids, rental car, you know, Disneyland tickets, food, American food, right? The whole, whole bit, right? 
I think the petrol alone driving from the airport to Disneyland might bankrupt me at the way things are at the moment, but that's all right. Um, let's say we spend about $20,000, right? Doing the whole, the whole thing. We pull up to Disneyland. Kids are pumped. We're all got our hats on and our Mickey Mouse shirts. I don't know what happens at Disneyland, honestly, so I don't do you wear those. I don't know. And we get there. We pull into the car park. And there's a boom gate down. And there's a sign. $7 for parking. What do you reckon would happen if I turned to my wife and go, hmm, seven bucks for parking. Let's go home. Back to the airport, back to the plane, back to our house. Seven bucks, all right? Like, I'm not paying that. Are you serious? I should be able to park my car wherever I want. I think that my wife would have an aneurysm, right? She would say, Are you, have you lost your mind? We spent $20,000 getting to this moment here and you're going to go home? For seven bucks, right? Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see the logic? You paid the million dollars. Why, why are you balking at seven bucks? If Christ did not spare his own life, if he went to the cross to rescue us from our sin, do you reckon he's going to balk at paying parking for us? Are you serious? He can cover it. He's already gave, given his best to bring us to himself, hasn't he? He's already done the hardest part. He's already bled and suffered and died and he's bore the terrible judgment of, of God for our sin and now he's going to back out on us? Friends, what makes you think that he would ever, ever, ever back out on loving you if he's given his all already? He's given his all already. I'll uh, share this from Dane Ortland. He writes this. He says, in Christ's death, God is confronting our dark thoughts of him and our chronic insistence that divine love must have an end point, a limit, a point at which it finally runs dry. Christ died to confound our intuitive assumptions that divine love has an expiration date. In the death of Christ for us sinners, God intends to put his love for us beyond question. It is beyond a question, friends. It really, truly is. You can be confident of this. God treasures, treasures his children. He loves them. He loves his kids. They are his blood-bought treasures. Which means he treasures you. Isn't that good? He treasures you. Not just people. He treasures you. You are safe. You are loved. And finally, this last doubt that this text makes us face. I'm not forgiven. I'm not forgiven. This one. As a pastor, I see this one. We have this. This is, this is us. <laughs> These are people that say, I know my sin is real. I know it is grievous. I know it is worthy of judgment. That's all true. And if that's true, then it means I am worthy of death. 
wages of sin is death. And above that, I know that that problem goes deep because I've tried to change and it's hard. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, with him, graciously give us all things? You ready? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God himself who justifies. So who is there to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, and who is indeed interceding for us. You've got to see this, right? God, his, he didn't just forgive you of your sin by saying, let's move past it. It's in the past. It's okay. Let's just, let's just move forwards. That wasn't his answer to your sin. God poured out his righteous wrath on his own son in your place. This is, this is what's happening, okay? The punishment and justice that was due your sin was placed on Christ. This is what these verses are saying. So your sin isn't merely forgiven, although that would be an amazing thing in of itself. It is dealt with. It is no more. It is gone. And that forgiveness that he offers us, it has a cost. It's the blood of Jesus. It is not a cheap thing that Christ offers us in forgiveness. It is the cost of his life, cost of his blood, cost of his body broken for us. So, what verdict against you can possibly stick if Christ has died? Take us to the, uh, the great... Charles Goldenmouth Spurgeon this time. He says this, We may look around and defy all our sins to destroy us. There's that word defy again. I'm loving that. Romans 8. Just defy our sins to destroy us. And this shall be an all-sufficient argument to shut their clamorous mouths. Christ has died. Here comes one. And he cries, you have been a blasphemer. Yes, but Christ died a blasphemer's death, and he died for blasphemers. But you have stained yourself with lust. Yes, but Christ died for the lascivious. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's own Son, cleanses us from all sin. So away, foul fiend. That also has received its due you have long resisted grace and long stood out against all the warnings of God. Yes, but Christ has died. And say what you will, O conscience, remind me of what you will. Look, this shall be my sure reply. Christ has died. Do you hear it? Do you see it? Christ has died. So today, whether it be another person or your conscience or Satan himself, this is your reply, isn't it? Christ has died. Not, I'm working on that, thank you very much. I'm, do, I'm, I'm doing my best here. That's not, that's not how you respond to condemnation from the enemy. Your response 
is yes, but Christ has died. More than that, he's raised. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for us on our behalf. He is at work now. It's not just his death, but his life that preaches to us the certainty of his love and the sufficiency of his cross. So friends, do you struggle with feeling condemned by your sin? Christ has died for you in your place for your sin. So let every condemning thought, every accusing thought, every accusing word drive you into his arms further. Yes, but Christ has died. Three doubts. I'm not safe. When that doubt comes, you feel that in your bones. You can say, hold on. If God is for me, who can be against me? When you feel uncared for, you can say, hold on. I can trust my father. He sent his son to die for me. He's not going to balk at paying parking. Can trust him. Why would he not give me everything I need? You feel condemned. You can say, Christ has died in my place. My forgiveness is sure because it was bought with his blood. Praise God. Here's two things I know that's true today. First thing, no one talks to you more than you talk to you. You know, that internal dialogue goes 24-7, correct? Except when you're sleeping, and even then, right? Dreams, they'll get you. Which means, if we are to live out these things, we need to learn to pick up these swords, the swords of Romans 8, and go to war against all these doubts. We need to learn to actually just preach at ourselves every day preach at ourselves every day and let this internal dialogue begin to get shaped. Like get active in there. Pick up the sword, pick up Romans 8, and go to war against the lies. Preach. Get your, preach, get your best preacher voice on and preach at yourself. You might even get called golden mouth if you do that. Right? Preach at yourself. Here's the second thing I know. No one in this room feels too loved by God. No one in this room feels too sure of his grace. No one in this room feels just too safe in his hands. We have the privilege and responsibility to not just preach it ourselves, but to share this good news with one another and encourage one another the good news. I wouldn't advise just like preaching at people. It probably doesn't go the way that you want it to, but still. Point them towards the goodness in these truths. Hold the preacher voice. But bring these truths to, your, to each other. Preach to yourself. Encourage one another with these truths. As we, uh, as we begin to close, I might get the, uh, the band to make their way back up. Um, think back with me to those first few questions that I asked earlier in the day. What is it that is causing you the most anxiety and stress in your life now? And what is your greatest 
fear? What is that reoccurring, niggling fear that you can't shake? Think about those things. Hold, hold them in your eyes, your eyes, your mind's eye. Let me just read once more Romans eight. And this time I'll shift the pronouns so that you hear it to you. Hear God's voice now. Hear God's voice now. You might want to shut your eyes if that's something that you find helpful. Hear God's voice in these words. What then will you say to these things? If God is for you, who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for you, will he not also with him graciously give you all things? Who will bring any charge against you? God's chosen one. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God interceding for you. Who shall separate you from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? No, in all these things, you are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is you're worried about, whatever it is that niggles at you, whatever big decision that looks hard and scary, whatever that is, right? Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. Do you remember that daughter sitting by her mum's bedside, dying mother asking, what if it's, what if it's all, all, what if it's not true? That, um, that lady, she says, that question troubled her. And for all her knowledge of the Bible, she didn't know what to say to her mum in that moment. And eventually she just turned to her mum and said, Jesus loves you. And he wouldn't lie to you. Jesus loves you. And he wouldn't lie to you. So today, let's, let's plan to die believing these words. Jesus loves us. He's not going to lie to us. What I'm going to do is I'm going to invite us to respond today. Again, this is just if you would like to worship in this way. Um, got, we've got the cross here. We've got the back of the room. We've got post-it notes and some pens ready to go. In your response, I just want to encourage you. Preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. You can go to the back of the room right out. Here's, here's the plan. I think I've got a, a slide to give you some instructions in case you forget. Just write out a lie or a doubt that you've been believing. Cross it out. And underneath it, write out the truth. And then come up and just stick it on the cross. That's like representing us, letting the gospel correct us and correct our lies. By putting it on the cross. So during this next song, and during um, yeah, during the next song, I invite you to do that if you'd like to. Um, let me pray. Lord, I'm so thankful that you give us such clear promises that aren't 
up to us to decipher and to kind of over explain away, Lord. We just, get, we just receive today on faith. We just receive these verses on complete faith that you are who you say you are, that you love us as fiercely as you say you do, that we are safe in your hands because no matter what's against us, you are for us, that we can trust you with our future because you've already laid down the biggest price we can imagine, Lord. You'll continue to love us to the very end. Lord, that we can trust that our sin is fully and finally forgiven because Jesus died for us. Lord, we can defy our accusations. We can defy our evil thoughts. We can defy the emperor trying to banish us from our kingdom, Lord, because what's the worst they can do? If you are for us, who can be against us? Lord, I pray for us today. You would help us to receive this on faith. Lord, for those of us in this room who are finding those doubts to be just so overwhelmingly big. Lord, that you would show yourself to be bigger. Your promise is more beautiful. Lord, the best kind of life we can live is life with you. Life, as Jesus said, life abundantly, life to the full. Because it is what we were made for. So Lord, help us to receive these promises. Lord, help us to stand on these promises. Help us to go to war against our doubt with the weapons you give us. To go with us, Lord. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.